Welcome to the Table Podcast. We hope what you hear today inspires joy in your heart and causes you to be convinced that God is good and He is for you. Enjoy the message. Our faith, we'll get into those in depth over the next two weeks, but tonight I want to answer three simple but very, very, very important questions. Number one is what is theology? We'll get to these in a little bit later on. What is theology? Why do we need theology? And how do we do theology? So that's where we're going tonight. So here's the deal. Myself, probably like many of you, um, I grew up in church. I grew up starting really in middle school in church every Sunday, every Wednesday. is a huge part of my life. I had an encounter with Jesus when I was in the eighth grade. And at that moment, I knew that I was a sinner and I knew that I needed a savior to wash me clean of my sins. So I, I went all in with Jesus as an eighth grader. And for, from eighth grade, really, through most of college, uh, most, like the fuel of my faith was my emotions. I needed Wednesday night to get me all fired up to, to raise my hand and worship all good God-honoring things, but I needed D-Now weekends. I needed camps. I needed retreats. I needed all these things to get my emotions stirred up again so then I could follow Jesus. And what I learned as I began maturing in life, just as I started growing up, and I wasn't really maturing a ton in my faith, but I was maturing as a person, I realized that my, my emotions weren't good enough to fully fuel my faith. I, I realized that when, when I ran out of the good feelings, when the, with the ushy-gushy was gone with God, I was kind of left there not really wanting anything to do with him. If I, if I woke up and I was happy and I was in a good mood, then I loved God. I was all in with God. But if I woke up on the wrong side of the bed, I was kind of cranky, which happens far too often. Like, I, I didn't want anything to do with him. And so I, I learned that my emotions, although important, although a gift from God to be able to identify and see where I was, and although God cares about my emotions, they were not enough to completely fuel my faith. And so there's a verse in Hebrews that kind of sums up what I was feeling and maybe what some of you here tonight are feeling. Hebrews 5, 12 through 6, 1 says this. It says, though by this time you ought to be teachers, but instead you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk being still an infant is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity. And so I I had a point in my life, in my faith, I was in college, and I went on a journey, started in college, that I'm still barely scratching the surface of, but I finally had a moment where I was like, I, I can't be scared anymore of trying to know God. Like, I thought my emotions were enough, my emotional connection with God was enough, and I thought that if someone had a biblical question for me, I'd just tell them to Google it. Like, I didn't know, and I didn't want to study it because I was scared I wasn't smart enough. Or I was afraid if I actually started understanding it, that I'd get prideful. And so I found myself in this weird in-between where I, I wanted to know God, but I didn't really want to study God because it may be showing I'm not smart enough. All these things going in my head, and finally, I understood that I needed solid food. Milk no longer wasn't, spiritual milk was no longer enough to get me where I wanted to go in my relationship with God. 
And so maybe some of y'all are in here tonight and you feel that way. You feel like you kind of hit a spot with God where you're like, you feel like you're kind of growing, but, but you're, you're not really putting in much effort into it. You love the emotional feeling you get on a Tuesday or on a Sunday or when you go serve at camp, whatever it is, but you're still drinking spiritual milk. My, my heart, my hope for this series is that this is a series that's feeding us solid food because we need it, church. We need solid food. With the madness of the world around us, with the madness in our own lives, we need to train ourselves in the things of God. We need the depth that's gonna be required to stand firm in the face of all that the world's throwing at us. And the way to do that is theology. It's knowing God. It's understanding your faith and not just simply having blind faith. And God is knowable. We'll get into this next week, but God wants to be known. He's mysterious, he's, he's almighty, but he wants to be known and he wants to show himself, reveal himself to each and every one of us tonight. And so before I get into kind of the meat of the message, I do wanna give a quick disclaimer. Um, this, this series, studying for this series has made me really insecure because I don't know near enough to really be teaching on this, if I'm being honest. I'm so at a place in my life where I'm so interested in these things and, and it's taken me a lot of work to really kind of see what people a lot smarter than me have to say about these topics. And so I just want you to know that as your pastor, like I'm not standing up here on stage looking down at you, telling you what to do and how to believe and all these things. I'm, I'm coming alongside of you in the journey as a friend. But I wanna just start the conversation. I wanna start the conversation with you guys so that we as a group of young adults can stand firm in the gospel. Does that sound good? All right, let's dig in. What is theology? What is theology? We'll start with a, with a simple definition. Theology comes from a compound word in the Greek, Theologia. Logia, meaning sayings, accounts, teachings, or theories. And then theos means God, theology, theologia. Essentially, theology, to be as boiled down as simply as possible, theology is the study of God. Theology is, is, is understanding the faith that we claim to believe. Theology teaches us what Christianity believes and then how to live it. If you saw the Instagram post, my, my favorite quote of all time, A.W. Tozer says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into your mind when you think about God is more important than what you look like, more important than the grades you make, more important than how athletic you are, more important than the family you come from. What comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. And if that's true, if that's true, then there is no greater endeavor that we can go on than to study God. There is nothing more important in your life. Hear me say this, there is nothing more important in your life than knowing God. Jesus said, this is eternal life, that they know my Father. Knowing God is eternal life. That's it, it's that simple. Knowing God is the greatest thing that you could ever achieve in life, and you will never fully understand God, but the pursuit of knowing God is better than any job you'll ever have. 
It's better than getting a spouse. It's better than a family. Knowing God is the core of your being. It's the core of our existence. And what comes into your mind when you think of God is the most important thing about you. Theology is the lens through which we process life. All right? It's because we're stepping into truth. We're stepping into reality. We live this life. We experience life. It's messy. It's broken. It's hard. But theology keeps us rooted. Theology gives us a lens to see every single thing in my life has meaning. Everything in my life has purpose and value. Because, and every person in my life has meaning and value. We don't know that if we don't know theology. We don't know that if we don't know that every single person is made in the image of God. We don't know that God is good when we've seen this, that God is good if you don't feel it, but you can know it. And sometimes our, our mind dictates our heart more than our heart dictates our mind. But we live, I'm getting ahead of myself, that we live in a world that all wants to do is tell you however you're feeling, go after that. Whatever your heart says, that's what you should do. The Bible also says the heart is wicked and deceitful above all things. We have to know God. We have to know God. We have to know what he wants. We have to know how he's, if the creator of the universe gave us a book about himself, about the world, about us, we should pay attention to it. Because he probably knows a thing or two about how the world is supposed to work. A lot better than we do. And so theology is the most important thing you could ever do. One of the, the greatest church Christian theologians of all time, St. Augustine, said, all truth is God's truth. Let that sit for a second. All truth is God's truth. Anything outside of God is therefore not true. Anything within God is true. There is truth in this world, no matter what Instagram Influencers tell you there is truth in this world. You don't get to choose that truth, unfortunately. Man, I think some of this may rub some of us the wrong way, but this is what the book teaches. God is true, and God is love. God is life in him. Or at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. That's the point of knowing him, to experience life as it was meant to live. You know when Jesus says, I'm going to give you life and life abundantly? I think theology is the map to get us to the abundant life. Understanding God, understanding our faith is the map to which we find abundant life. There is no other way to find it. Every other route will lead you short, but God will lead you to abundance. And here's the thing. Maybe the idea of theology is daunting. Maybe it's scary. I read a quote that said, every Christian to be a Christian is to be a theologian. There are no exceptions. Doesn't mean that you have to be a Bible scholar. Doesn't mean that you're gonna be in academics. Doesn't mean that you're gonna know every single thing that's ever written in the book. But what it does mean is that if you are a Christian, you are a theologian, which means you have the task on your life to do the work of studying God. It's like any other relationship. I didn't know the first time I met Morgan I wanted to marry her. But as I got to know her, as I dug into getting to know her, as I put in the effort to get to know her, I realized I want to commit to that girl. And if God is committed to you, and if you have committed yourself to God, then don't you think you got to get to know him? He's worth getting to know. 
He's worth getting to know because in him is all truth. Oh, man, it gets me fired up. So that is a very broad definition of what theology is. Why do we need theology? There are lots of reasons, but tonight I want to talk about three, what I believe is some of the most important right now in this moment, three of the most important reasons why we need theology. I'm going to break these down, but I'm going to give them to you beforehand. Number one, we live in the age of ideology. I'll explain that here in a second. Number two, Jesus actually commands us to love him with our mind. And third, theology gives us hope in times of madness. Age of ideology. All right. Well, I've talked about this a lot, I thought, since I've gotten here. When we went through the Colossians series, we talked about culture and, and living in culture's story versus living in God's story. And so some of this we've talked about, but I, I want to break down ideology. It's a big word, sounds intimidating. If you ever listen to John Mark Comer or Mark Sayers, I say it all the time, so you may have heard it before, but they talk about this idea of ideology. This is what Merriam-Webster has to say about it. It says, ideology is a systematic body of concepts, especially about human life or culture. So basically what ideology is, it's a set of beliefs that you allow to rule your life. It's a set of beliefs, it's, it's a lens, if you will, through which you see life, the way you interpret your experiences, the way you interpret things that are happening, that's an ideology. Every single human has an ideology. Every single human has a lens through which they see and perceive life. I'm gonna throw out three quick ones that the world currently really, really loves. Some are left-leaning, some are right-leaning. None of them are biblical. One, secularism, this idea that we don't need God. We are good enough as humans on our own. Number two, relativism, this idea that there is no one absolute truth. You pick your truth, and that's you doing you. Third, nationalism. Nationalism is an ideology that some people have that is also not biblical. So those are just a few that as I'm saying, I'm hopefully you can pick up on like, okay, yeah, I've seen this before. Like, I see now where that's coming from. I've heard people talk about that, and that, it didn't sit with me right fully, but I kind of liked what they were saying, but I want us to be able to identify what some of these ideologies are that the world is putting on us that are not true. They're not a true, they're not God's truth, therefore it's not the true way to live life. Here's the thing. This idea of ideology is not new. This isn't some new concept that in 2021 we're having to deal with and that no Christians in the past have ever had to deal with. In fact, 2 Corinthians, Paul, the first century church, church in Corinth, messed up church, messed up church. He says this to them, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. He says, I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be toward some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. Basically what he's saying here is he says, when I come visit you in person, I'm writing you a letter, when I come visit you in person, church, I don't wanna have to get in arguments with you, but I'm gonna have to, because some of you believe, back then like a lot of us do today, some of you believe that we as Christians, that we as the church live by the standards of this world. Paul did not like that. The ideas, the, the social norms, the expectations that the world has is not the same expectations that God has. The ideologies of the world are not biblical. 
God has a different story for us to live in. God has a, a bigger story for us to live in. John Mark Comer says this about standards of this world. He said, the world in the New Testament is a system of ideas, of values, morals, practices, and social norms in a culture corrupted by the twin sins of rebellion against God and the redefinition of good and evil. He said, that is Genesis 3 in one sentence. If we know the story, which we've talked about in relationship series, Genesis 3 is when it all went wrong. When we tried to become God, instead of trusting God and his goodness, another definition of the standards of this world, of, of, of living into these ideologies is this, is the world is Satan's domain. The world is Satan's domain where his authority and values reign, though his deception makes that hard to realize. If you are of the world, then it seems right. This is why this is so important, y'all. I read a statistic that average millennial Christian, average millennial Christian, not just millennial, millennial Christian consumes 3,000 hours of digital content a year. 150 of the 3,000 of which is Christian. I didn't do the math. That means 97%, if I got that right, obviously impressed, 90 something percent of the content you're consuming is, is trying to invite you into a different story. And we are eating it up. And I think the time of ignorance has to stop. We give in to social pressures. I get it, we're human. I get it, we're flawed, we're sinful, we have desires, I get all of it, but God has pleasures at his right hand for you. There's a story and a narrative and an ideology that the world is trying to throw you that is crap. And a lot of us are getting sucked up into it. It's not just us here, it's everyone. It's Christians all over. And I believe this is why it is so crucial, just so crucial to be careful what you put your mind to. Because you become what you contemplate. What you're thinking about, what you're consuming is eventually what you become. And so our, our attention span, our, our, what we put our mind on is of the utmost importance. And, and reading the Bible and reading theological books may not be fun, but it will set you up and your mind up to live the life that God has for you, for your flourishing and for your good. But this is why theology for our generation is so important. If you read old, dead Christian dudes, they got it. There was a depth, not all of them, but there is a depth to knowing and understanding and living the life that God has for us that they experience that I'm afraid most of us never will. We're playing in the shallow end. We're playing in the kiddie pool because our, our, our generation is so easily content. We're so easily content, and myself included. I'd rather just numb myself on, 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 on watching sports than like really enter into what's going on in my soul. That's crap. Yet I do it. And God is saying, I have something so much bigger for you. 
I have something so much greater and better for you. I have an invitation to rest. Not rest of Netflix binging. That's not rest. I have an invitation to soul rest for you. But you're not getting it because you're numbing yourself with mindless crap. And I'm just as much of an offender as anybody in this room. But theology is so important because it allows us to identify the ideologies that are wrong and then reject them and then choose the right path. That's why we need theology. That's why we need to understand our faith. Number two, God, Jesus commands us to love him with our mind. He was having a conversation with some Pharisees and a few of his disciples, and, and the Pharisees trying to trip him up said, Jesus, okay, you're a super smart guy. What is the greatest commandment? Jesus did this. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Jesus commanded them in that moment to love God with their heart, their soul, and their mind. I think some of us, like my story, like I shared earlier, so many of us in this room, we're pretty good at loving God with our heart. We're pretty good, actually, at loving God with our soul. We love the feelings. We love the emotions. But are we good at loving God with our mind? Are we good at using our thoughts in a way that glorifies God? You know, the Bible tells us that we have an ability to take our thoughts captive because we have something greater in us than the flesh. What is in you is greater than what is in the world. Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit in you, is more powerful than the world. We have the ability to literally take our thoughts captive because the thoughts that come into our minds aren't always good and right. I mean, shoot, we know that. We have the ability, the authority in Jesus to take those thoughts captive. But what I think we've done with loving God with our mind, if we've outsourced that to pastors and to podcasts and to YouTube preachers and to books, all these things that people who have done the work themselves to love God with their mind, but we don't want to do it ourselves. We rather just consume secondhand what they're learning and then it gets us all fired up, but we don't actually experience what they're talking about. We just hear it. We just hear it. We just hear it, and it falls short in our heart. It, it maybe st- stays right here, but that's not transforming us. It's not real. We're not experiencing the depth that God has for us. Like I said earlier, he's an inexhaustible well. There is no way to run out of understanding him. But second, God also, Jesus, when he was leaving his disciples, the great commandment, he says, go make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. God, Jesus expects and commands his followers to be able to teach the faith in which we claim to believe. If you're a teacher and you're asked to teach math, you better be able to teach math. Otherwise, what are you doing? As a a Christian, if we can't teach somebody else our faith, There's no condemnation for it, but I'm just saying now's the time that we can start learning outside of of just the main characters and the main plot line, which is all essential to our faith, but we can get into some of the nitty-gritty that God has in his word for us to experience. Jesus expects us to be able to teach others. I read this quote. It says, Jesus commanded us to love God with our minds. Yes, we glorify God by godly living, but godly living proceeds from godly thinking. 
including the study of theology. Get this, lazy and irrational thinking does not glorify God. A real lover of God and disciple of Jesus develops and uses the mind. How can we live godly if we can't think godly? How can we live godly if we don't know God's thoughts? Loving God with our mind is so, so essential. It's vital to our faith. It's vital to our opportunity to love other people and not just saying, hey, go Google it. Say, hey, no, I've been on this journey. Let me, let me study this with you. Let me go alongside you in this journey as I have started this journey. Jesus expects that of his followers. But I think what we've done in the church, and this is not a shot at anything or anybody, but what we have done is we have made following Jesus seem so attractive. And it's the greatest decision you'll ever make. It is, it is the only thing that we were meant for in this life is to know Jesus. But when we promise that life will look easier, when we promise comforts, then none of this makes sense to us. Why would we put the effort in? Because I thought I was signing up for something really soft and easy and cuddly. I didn't know I was signing up for the dude that flipped tables when, when he disagreed with Pharisees. I didn't know that I was saying yes to this dude that literally took lashes on his back, took a beating on the cross for my salvation. We were bought with a price. But I think we've, we've bought into some, some of a softness about Jesus that he, he is so quick to be merciful. He sees right where you are and he's kind to you. All these things are true of him. He also wants you to be able to stand firm when the world is throwing things at you that are gonna tear you apart. Jesus is a dog a little bit and he wants you to be too. He wants you to be too. All right, lastly, why do we need theology? Because theology gives us hope in times of madness. When, when our life is chaotic, when we feel like we're in a frenzy, when we have all these deep life questions and, and everything around us seems to be wrong, theology is what allows us to stand on a firm rock. Theology is what allows us to not sink in sand. Theology is what allows us to stand tall because we are standing on the rock of Jesus. It gives us hope. Understanding theology helps you be able to identify and then therefore push back the enemy when he's trying to attack you. There's a very, very, very real enemy after your souls. And the number one agenda that he has is to get you as far away from God as possible. It's that simple. He wants you to be as far away from God as possible. And how does he do that? He distorts. He confuses. He makes you believe lies about yourself, about God, about other people. And we so easily give into it because we can't identify his voice versus God's. There is a war for your soul. There's a battle for your mind. How many books have been written lately about the mind is a battlefield? A lot of books, because this is important. The way that we think, what we contemplate on is important. It is so vital to where we're going. I know each and every one of you have a desire. I know that you all have a desire to be faithful in work, to be faithful in a marriage, to be faithful as a, as a parent, to be faithful in your church. I know you have good desires to be good people, <laughs> to be gospel people. You don't just accidentally slide into that one day. 
You don't wake up one day and you're 40 and you're a heck of a husband, an amazing dad, and a really hardworking father. It doesn't happen on accident. It takes intentional effort and it starts right here. But we have hope in the middle of chaos. We have hope in the middle of the frenzy. And when, when Satan's trying to attack us, we can fight back. We have weapons, uh, 2 Corinthians 10 talks about we have weapons of warfare unlike the world. AK, we don't fight the world with the world. We fight the world with Jesus, who defeated the grave. We fight the world with the Holy Spirit, who literally is the person that helped Jesus resurrect. We have that power living inside of us, and we can access it to take our thoughts captive in order to obey Christ. This is so important. So when we're asking those big life questions, is this pain purposeful? Like, what's it all about? Why did I have to stay in my apartment for a year? Why can I still not give my grandmother a hug? Why did I lose my job? Why did he break up with me? And when we know God, he's not gonna tell you, you're not gonna open up to, to Galatians and he's gonna say, he broke up with you because this. No, that's not how it works. But God wants to give you comfort and hope and assurance that those things ultimately don't define you. You're living in a different, ultimate reality. This reality on a Tuesday night, March 23rd in West Monroe, Louisiana, this is our current moment. But there is an ultimate reality that we are being, that we are a part of. It's, I mean, it, it is crazy to think about. And there's an enemy after your soul, but there's a God who wants to, to protect you. All right, lastly, how do we do theology? I'm going to give a couple of practical tips um, again, like I said, this is this hopefully is an, an equipping. This isn't like a, I'm gonna tell you everything you need to know, now go know it. No, that's not how this, this works. I, I hope this is like an equipping and, and it stirs your heart to wanna go do it yourself and hopefully even do it with other people. But I'm gonna give you some practical tips, but then even maybe more importantly, I'm gonna give you some postures. So some practical and some postures with how we do theology. Practical. Again, I've studied all this. This isn't something that I, I've come up with or I know. These are trusted theologians of church history that are saying this, not me, okay? But they said there are four key elements, four key elements to theology. Number one, hopefully obvious, scripture. Number one, most important practical tool to understanding theology is that God gave us his word. He spoke to them back then. He's speaking to us now, and he wants to help us identify who he is and the world in which we live in and how to flourish. Number two, the second element is tradition, and I think we hate that word in 2021, but tradition, a.k.a. For 2,000 years plus, there have been people who have studied this book that are really, really trustworthy. And I know we live in this, like, I want to experience it for myself, so I'm going to do it. Like, learn from other people who have already gone before you. Your parents actually probably have your good in mind a lot more than you think they do. Your grandparents that pour into you, that speak wisdom of your life, they are trustworthy people. And, and even just as much as that, there are, there are Christians that, Man, just deep thinkers who have literally devoted their life to understanding God through his word that we can learn from and we should learn from. And if there is a, over 2,000 years, a similar thread that the church is, is standing on, 
And we don't need to reinvent the wheel. We don't need to deconstruct our faith. Lord, have mercy. We don't need to do that. Yes, there are certain aspects that maybe can be tweaked, but, but we do not need to deconstruct our faith. We can trust voices of the past. So tradition. Third, reason. Reason. Simply using logic, right? Using Logic, God intentionally, this is frustrating, but God intentionally leaves some, some areas of theology, some areas of the Bible gray, intentionally, by his good design. I don't know why. I think because he wants us to trust him. He wants us to be dependent on him. He's not gonna give us every single answer to the test. He wants us to study. He wants us to, to trust him in our decisions as we're taking the test. And so using reason, using logic, that some things in the Bible are always gonna live in tension. You have to be willing to be okay with that. The Bible never contradicts itself, but there are some things that are just not fully settled. And that's okay. You'll find people in, in tradition, like we just talked about, some people are very hard in one stance, some people are very hard on another, predestination, free will. You'll find incredibly smart people of God who will be in heaven who completely disagree. But there are three levels of which um, understanding theology is important. And I wish I could give a whole message to this, maybe sometime. But number one is the essentials. There are essentials to our faith that if you don't believe in these, then you are not a Christian. That Jesus was fully God, fully human. That Jesus, in his body, bodily resurrected. These are essentials to the faith that if you don't believe, you're just simply not a Christian. But then there are, the next level is convictions. Church government, how a church is supposed to run. Women's role in the church different things like this that are very hot topics right now, and some people have convictions, like I said, predestination, free will, very important things that the Bible, again, doesn't contradict itself, things live in tension, and you can have a disagreement with a brother down the street and still love the heck out of him and serve Have some levels of theological reasoning that I think are important for us to be able to understand. Lastly, the fourth key element is experience. Experience something. This happened to, to me and Morgan a couple weeks ago. I was reading something in his word, and I just felt like he was telling me something, and me and Morgan weren't fully on the same page yet. I know it's super vague, but it all worked out. We weren't fully on the same page yet, and then I was just praying. I was like, God, I think God's telling me this, and, and next thing you know, a week later, like, we are 100% on the same page. We experienced God showing up through his scripture, uniting our hearts in a really special way. That's experiencing God. And when your emotions don't match up with scripture, Always choose scripture. <laughs> when your emotions don't match up with scripture, always choose scripture because at the end of the day, our emotions are very important and God uses them to help us identify where we are and where we need to address him and how we can address him, but they're not ultimate. And how you feel about yourself and what you tell yourself, if it's 
contradictory to what this says about you, stop believing what you're telling yourself and start believing this. Lastly, posture. So that was some practical posture. How do we do theology? What's the posture? Simple, two things, in humility and in community. In humility and in community. Here's the thing is there's no way, no way for any of us to come to the Bible, to come to our faith without any sort of predisposition towards what we want it to say. We have life experience. We have family values. We have ways that we've been brought up. We have different races. We have different economic status. We have all these things that, that make a cocktail of who we are. We take that and we, and we bring it to the Bible. And there's no way you're not going to interpret things the way that sometimes you want to interpret it, myself included. And so this, um, I thought this quote by Tim Keller was absolutely amazing, and I pray that we would live this out. It says, only if your God can say things that outrage you and make you struggle will you know that you have gotten hold of a real God and not a figment of your imagination. So an authoritative Bible is not the enemy of a personal relationship with God. It is the precondition for it. God is going to offend you. God has offended me many times. There's things that I don't want to be true about God that are true. There's things that I wish were different, but when I come to Scripture, my thoughts are wrong. And if we, posh, if we truly want to seek God, if we truly want to understand God, we have to humble ourselves to think maybe God is right and I'm not. Maybe God's way really does lead to abundance. Maybe God's way really is the way for me to experience life and life to the full, and maybe my way eventually is going to lead to death. So we have to humble ourselves before God. And then lastly, theology is best done in community. I was just thinking about this. I was thinking about all the different heresies and, and all the different wrong thinking that, that mostly is actually birthed out of Christians, Sometimes it's birthed out of a non-believer, but a lot of Christians come to the Bible with their predispositions, and, and they, they, literally Thomas Jefferson, for example, he took his Bible with scissors, and he cut out parts of it that he didn't agree with. And there's literally something now called the Jeffersonian Bible. You can Google it. <laughs> if I had to guess, he probably didn't have a group, a small group that he was a part of that was encouraging him to do that. I think most heresy and most bad theology is birthed out of isolation, when you are alone and you're watching YouTube videos till 2 a.m. with angry preachers or with people who have these ideas that seem so new age and cool, it's probably wrong. But if you are doing, if you're doing theology and community, if you're bringing your thoughts and your ideas and your struggles to community and they can lovingly say, hey, like, I love you so much, I, I'm not sure that's what this is saying. I love you enough to tell you that. And we're not going to hold it over you. That's not the, the role of the church. But this is why we always talk about small groups is it's so important to live life together because when we're alone, we can go down paths and routes that will lead to a really bad place. But in, in the context of humility and community, you will find God. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. At the table, we are discovering Jesus together. If you were encouraged by today's message, do us a favor and subscribe to this podcast. 
That way you never miss out on future episodes. Also help us get the word out by sharing this podcast on your preferred social media platform. To keep up on what's happening in our community, you can follow us on Facebook at The Table or on Instagram at The Table CCLA.